Delivering clear, concise, and entertaining content on demand, this is SharperTalkMedia.com. Join the community. Welcome to Higher Up, the podcast designed to help you take your business to a higher level. Get the latest news and updates on everything human resources. Unlock the occupational DNA so you can identify, select, develop, and retain top talent. And now your host, John Beck. Well, hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us today for another episode of Higher Up, a podcast devoted to everything human resources and taking your business to a higher level. We have a very, very special guest. In fact, he's not only a guest, but he's one of our expert panelists who will be reoccurring on the show, and that's uh, Dr. Scott Hamilton, Ph.D., Dr. Hamilton is CEO of Hamilton & Associates Consulting, specializing in business coaching executive coaching, assessment, development, and utilization. Dr. Hamilton formerly served as the Chief Research Officer of Profiles International Incorporated and also served as their Executive Vice President of Research and Development. Dr. Hamilton, welcome to the show. Thank you, John. It's good to be here. I appreciate the opportunity to visit with you. Well, great. I tell you, I'm so excited to have you and have our guests and our listeners tune in and and really be able to get a good handle and understanding of what the assessment industry is all about. And that's what we're going to be covering today. And what I'd like to start off with is, you know, find out a little bit about what you've been doing over the last uh, last year or so. And that's uh, tell us a little little bit about Hamilton and Associates. All right, John, as you know, I was with Profiles International out of Waco, Texas for uh, over 20 years, uh, leading in the development of all the products that they have as the uh, uh, chief science officer and uh, uh, executive VP of, uh, of development. Now I'm doing some specialty work. And I retired from Profiles uh, right, and uh, started to... Uh, Stayed retired about six weeks and started getting <laughs> phone calls. So, <laughs> Well, from, I could tell you, knowing from, you as I have over the last 20 plus years, I, it's hard for me to see you sitting on a, a on a rocking chair on your front porch. Well, I did what I could, but uh, <laughs> got a lot of calls from uh, actually former competitors doing some work with them and uh, uh, some clients, also some uh, other professionals. I've uh, been on boards of various professional organizations, so right. uh, I was here with a lot of people. And so I put together the uh, P.S. Hamilton Associates uh, Limited Liability Corporation, LLC. Yes. And what we do is we are we develop custom assessments. Uh, I've, there's a lot of companies out there that need uh, uh, smaller companies to develop assessments for very specific kind of situations. So we build those. Also do uh, consulting with companies on the utilization and development of assessments. Wonderful. And the individual executive coaching. I, as you know, I was a clinician for many years, yes. a long time. And uh, also a, uh, a, a controller for a, a corporation. So I have a lot of business experience. I'm utilizing that and working with some individuals on uh, on weekly uh, coaching sessions. Uh, well, and doing technical consulting with other organizations about their particular uh, uh, R&D departments to, uh, where they have questions or uh, want, uh, want another outside opinion. Exactly. Uh, perhaps technical plans <laughs> and so forth. So I'm uh, staying kind of busy and... Uh, uh, well, many, many years ago, my dissertation was on uh, uh, mindfulness. So I'm doing some work with mindfulness as well. So right. I'm having a good well, well, that's fantastic, Doc. And I and you don't mind if I call you Doc. I've called you that for over 20-plus years. So 
it's going to be hard for me to go the formal route. So I'm going to have to go with Doc. I hope that's okay. <laughs> that works quite well. <laughs> great, great. So, you know, for time's sake, let's just go ahead and jump right into our topics. And, you know, one of the questions that I often get asked with organizations, and, and you'll hear when I'm talking with clients or prospective clients, they interchange the word test and assessment uh, just over throughout the exact same conversation about the exact same end result. So I wanted to just kind of get your insight and, and information on, you know, what is the difference uh, between a test and an assessment and is there? Because I've always, you know, while I feel there's a difference and no, but there's, uh, the, I feel like a lot of professionals out there just use the words interchangeably. And what's the difference? Well, that is very common, and, and in general use, use them interchangeably is fine, really. But uh, really, uh, there's a difference, and the difference is uh, a test will work with most common situations. Uh, just use that uh, that language if people understand it. Right. Test examines if a person can do something or knows something. An example might be a math test or a reading test or a typing test. Uh, the idea that someone needs to actually perform uh, an activity and demonstrate what they what they know or what they can do. An assessment is used to document a, a broader scope. And while it can be used to an assessment to look and see if someone has mathematical abilities, it also can look at their attitudes, their beliefs, uh, right. uh, how, how we think they might behave. Because an assessment helps predict what people will think and how they'll behave, what they'll what they will do in a situation. That used that's very very useful information. Sure, if you try to predict success or future behavior. What I want to you know add on a little tidbit to that. So here a lot of applicants or even you know I'll walk into an organization and I'm discussing with them about some of the assessment results and you'll hear you'll hear a uh, an executive say boy they sure failed that assessment. I've always been under the belief that there's really not a pass or fail in the assessment world. Would would you agree with that or or, oh, or I think guide yeah, me I think in the right? <laughs> that is very very true. I think the uh, that's another word. The idea of a test brings up a uh, failing. It also might bring up the uh, the weekly spelling test in the third grade or something. So uh, there are a lot of uh, 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 feelings that might be associated with it. But you can't really fail an assessment. Uh, assessment is looking to see how you think, what your attitudes are, what you know, how you would say you'd respond to a situation. Right. And, uh, it's difficult to fail that, of course. Now you might it might turn out that it might be inappropriate for job fit. We might talk about that later. Sure. Yes. So really, it's hard to fail an assessment because it's hard to fail who you are. <laughs> is that exactly yeah. <laughs> okay? Right. It's a fair statement. Yeah, yeah. great. Um, so assessments are used, and I know many different applications, but well, primarily, let's just talk a little bit about assessments in the pre-employment area. So, what what are pre-employment assessments, and how are they best utilized, and what is the function? What what, is, what are organizations really trying to achieve? when using pre-employment assessments? All right. Well, assessments are used for a lot of a lot of reasons in businesses, but a pre-employment assessment is typically administered uh, pre-employment before someone's hired. Right, right. And the idea is to help make a better decision about the individual, uh, how they might behave uh, and what they know, but also how they would fit a situation because, you know, sometimes we uh, – we can assess that someone can do something well and that the way they're going to behave, but we, later on we've got to decide if that's appropriate for what we're looking for. Sure. Uh, but the assessments are used to help establish uh, if they'll fit the job, if they can do the job, right. be comfortable in the job, and those kinds of activities. If you can predict that before, 
before you make the hiring decision, you can save an awful lot of time. Someone once told me that, you know, we could hire everybody who walked in the door and eventually we'd know who the good ones were. <laughs> right. right. Uh, yeah. And that's an expensive way to go about it. Um, that's the last 20 some odd years trying to develop <laughs> tests and maybe predict that in advance. That's right. So, you know, a lot of times, uh, you know, organizations I'll go in and say, well, you know, we're, we're, we're giving the, these applicants a, um, uh, you know, where uh, an assessment where it's, you know, really skill-based and where they're going and putting together a particular uh, skill application. When we look at the skill side, which I, I think is important, but the fit side, and talk to us a little bit about, in your view, of fit versus skill or skill and fit, and, and how do they equate and, and the difference between the two in terms of gathering that information to make a great hire. All right. Uh, a skill assessment, as I mentioned earlier, is designed, designed to see if someone can do something. I mean, uh, and usually it's a behavior, of course. You know, if you want to know if someone's going to have to weld metal, then you want to see them weld metal. You have to assess and say, okay, go weld these two pieces of metal together. Or if you have someone that, that uh, you know, they're going to be typing, you can give them a typing test to assess their ability to actually behave with proper typing. Right. Uh, and, and how fast they can type and so forth. So if you want to know if someone can do something, you have them complete a test. Uh, from a skill, from know, a skill perspective, a yes. Yes, right. But if you want to know if the individual fit into a job, you got to say, well, we got to need to assess what they can do, what they will do. Then we got to figure out what do we want them to do? What do we need for them to do? Sure. Because we need alignment there if we can get that. And so, you know, observation uh, is one way to do that. And by all means, you need to do an interview. You need to talk to people. You need to do a lot of things in, in placement. But, you know, it's impractical to watch someone for years to figure, as I said before, you hire someone and watch them for five years, you'll know the question. Right. The the question. That doesn't work. So assessments are developed to, to predict job fit. What right. happens? The characteristics of those who've been successful doing a job uh, give you a really good information. If you know that the people who are effective doing this job have these characteristics and those who don't have these characteristics historically have not done well on the job. Then maybe what I need to do is assess the characteristics of the individual individuals who are applying for the job and see if I can't get alignment there. Right. And, and of course, research shows that you can, if you can predict success uh, very effectively and no one bats a thousand, Right. but boy, you've had a turnover of 50% and you, uh, because you put the wrong people in the job, and you knock that down to ten percent. That's a huge savings in money. You know, I uh, in working with you know organizations of, as I've have over the last twenty plus years, something that I've always talked to in terms of skill and fit, and I, I really want to kind of get your input on that and see if if I've been heading in the right direction. No, no place better to get it than from an expert like yourself, and that is. When I look at the skill, that's the past experience and the the was the education, training, the things that those per, that person brings, and and to me, that's uh, skill is something that usually can be trained and taught. Where on the fit side, which is what we're talking about today, that occupational DNA fit, if you will, the the, the fit of that person into the job, where it's very difficult to train fit. Where you could train skill, it's hard to train fit. Is that something that you would? What's your thoughts on that? Well, yeah, uh, actually, it's a it's a bit uh, it's kind of an interesting question. You can 
you know, who you are, your behaviors, you develop who you are. And, and we can, I don't know if we're going to talk about that, but right. that has to do with temperament and genetics and all kinds of stuff. Sure. And as you grow up and interact with life, you develop a personality and that personality is fairly fixed, sure. but we can adapt our behavior. Mm-hmm. I know that you behave differently in a setting with the guys out uh, fishing than you do maybe in your, in your mother's uh, uh, dining room. You, you that, know, it, that would be a true of, statement. <laughs> okay. Well, and so we adapt, we adapt who we are, our personality to fit the situation. And that's an important aspect of, of being able to fit in a job. Right. However, if you have to make too big an adaptation or you have to do it, too long, you'll never be quite as good or comfortable with the job as you would be if it was more natural to you. So the idea is to try to find people who get to be who they are as often as possible while they're doing the job. Right. It makes it more effective. It uh, allows them, it sort of decreases uh, turnover. It makes uh, everybody happier at work. Sure. A lot of good things happen. Good stuff. Now, you know, moving along, next you know, confusion that I that you know we, we talked about the confusion between test and assessment and skill and and fit and the other big confusion I, I hear these words used interchangeably as well and that is behavior assessment or personality assessments. What what is the difference? And and, and you almost hear it interchangeable. You just like you do test the word test and assessment. So I really like to drive down a little deeper in behavioral assessment versus personality assessment. And what what is the difference? All right. Well, you know, you said earlier the idea of, of, of who you are, uh, that is your, your personality, and those characteristics are fairly fixed, as I mentioned a moment ago. That doesn't change much. If someone's basically an uh, extroverted person, they're going to tend to be extroverted. There are a lot of ways to assess that. Right. You can, uh, you can observe them. You can use a 360 type test where people observe the individual and report on what they've seen. Mm-hmm. And, and that's a good approach. Uh, you also can, can, uh, observe them specifically and follow them around and make notes, which we used to do back in the in the 60s and 70s with some of the earlier test development stuff. Or what you can do is you can ask somebody. You can say, <laughs> you know, how would you behave if this happened? If someone cut in front of you in the line, would you hit them over the head with your shoe? You know, well, <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, that's- personality helps predict how you'll respond to a situation, but the behavior is what we're after. Okay. Would you hit them with the shoe? Or in this situation, if you had a disagreement with your uh, supervisor uh, and it was a health situation, would you bring it up for safety? Right, right. And so you can ask someone, how would you behave? And the behavior is where the personality meets the situation. Ah. And we don't always behave the same way. Uh, you might not correct your boss if uh, if he or she used the inappropriate verb, getting ready to, to plug a screwdriver into the wall socket. Uh, electricity, you might intervene, of course. So uh, what you normally would do is impacted by the situation. And that's behavior. You're trying to predict behavior. But a good way to start is to find out who the person is, because the person is going to be the same tomorrow, the next day, the next day. I I really loved what you just said. And I might have to go back and and ask you to repeat that. And I'm going to try to paraphrase what you said. And and if if I'm close, I want you to correct it and remake the point. And that is, you mentioned that personality is where personality and the situation meet, which is drives the behavior. Is that how you, did you word it that, in that context? Well, that's close. I, what I said was who you are is, and you got to remember, I, I taught graduate school for a lot of years, so I tend to get in a lecture mode and <laughs> with the time I won't hear, but let me mention 
fact that, you know, you start off with a certain temperament. You start off with certain genetics. That's who you are. Right. As you interact with the world, your personality shapes. Sure. And that's pretty well fixed. But that personality is a part of why you choose or could choose to behave a certain way. But circumstances might cause you to not behave that exact way because it's a different situation. I see, yes. So I'll behave differently than I normally would with a knee-jerk reaction. And that's part of, of becoming civilized and okay. becoming, uh, right. you know, fitting into the culture. Right. Uh, so the thing that you ordinarily might do knee-jerk reaction, you choose not to do because to, you need to behave differently. But without a doubt, they very, are very much related. Okay. Great, great. Thank you for that explanation, Doc. I'll go into several companies and there, you know, a lot of times we'll be using a simple either behavioral personality driven type assessment. And what I've noticed is that there's a lack of what I call cognitive assessment, where we're looking at the, and I hate to put in these terms, but the mental horsepower of an individual or what their abilities are from a, a cognitive standpoint. How important is the cognitive piece to an assessment or to getting the kind of information one would need to make a great decision or a great selection decision in a pre-employment situation. Tell us about that cognitive piece. All right. Well, cognitive uh, assessments have been around a long time, of course, and they're very useful for predicting job performance and, and success in training, particularly if it's a complex job, because the way that you function uh, mentally and make decisions has a great impact on, on how you behave and the kinds of activities, the things you can do. However, uh, cognitive behaviors have a higher incidence of adverse impact on protected subgroups, such as uh, gender, ethnicity, and so forth. Sure. And so cognitive tests by themselves, you need to be kind of careful with them. What we've, what I've done historically, I will take a cognitive, cognitive test. I'll combine it with a, an assessment for interest or one for, for behavior, uh, other aspects, because that tends to mediate that's that, that bit of a bias that you find with cognitive assessments. Right. But without a doubt, they're very, very useful. Okay. And particularly remember this, as the as training is more complex or as the job is more complicated or requires the individual to make uh, complex decisions quickly, then cognitive testing becomes very, very important. Mm -hmm. Great. I uh, <clears throat> I walk uh, a lot of times uh, organizations will, you know, I'll, I'll walk in and they'll have a situation going on and we'll introduce the pre-employment assessment programs or different programs to, to companies. And what you'll hear a lot of times is, oh, we're great at interviewing. We can do it from the interviewing. And, you know, there's a, a, not a, a huge, while, while, the, while it's been a growing, there's not a huge amount of organizations engaged in pre-employment assessments, while that, that number's certainly on the rise. And we'll talk about that a little later. But if I'm trying to tell an, uh, if I'm trying to present to an organization that just is not using assessments, what are the benefits to a company in using this type of technology as a pre-employment solution, a pre-employment assessment? Well, uh, we've hit on some of those things. Let me see if I can summarize a little bit. Uh, assessments, pre-employment assessment, provide information about the individual concerning their skills, uh, their individual characteristics. Uh, and all that's very useful for predicting how well, how they'll perform on a job. Uh, the extroverted person working with the introverted person, you know that you're going to have a situation there you'll need to deal with with a supervisor possibly. Because how they choose to act or how they prefer to act is reflected in that behavioral information. So to fit someone successfully into a job, into an organization, to, into a team, 
this is before your time, but back when TI was very, very big, right. I put teams for projects. Uh, I was I was up in the Dallas area and worked with those people. The composite of the team, how to put together a team that would be effective, that was an important part of it. Who are the people? How will they go together? But employers feel they can discover information about the applicant that's not available from just an interview. And I think that is very, very wise because yeah. the interview will tell you how someone will behave in an interview. The answers to the questions will tell you how well they will express themselves and may reflect uh, what they've really done in the past, although there's not much check and balance there, of course. Right. Uh, but when you throw in a, uh, a pre-employment assessment, that's another perspective that gives you what the person is, how they will potentially behave, and how that behavior will fit into what we do around here in, at our place. Sure. Uh, and so if, the other thing with an assessment is it's relatively free from bias, you understand. If it's properly developed, it doesn't have that, that bias. It's colorblind, it's genderblind, all those kinds of things. And I don't care who you are. A bias can fit into a the way you interact with people, even in a in an interview process. So it allows a little bit of a check and balance in that regard as well. Well, yeah, uh, I, I've actually, um, you know, I, I did a, several different research uh, on, on well research on interviewing when back you know twenty some odd years ago when I was entering the workforce, and you know one of the interview e tricks was to identify something in the interviewer's office that you could relate with and <laughs> point it out. So I can remember a time I saw two fishing poles in the corner of a recruiter's office. They were sitting there, and they were kind of antique, but they were nice. So I started mentioning a little bit about fishing and bass fishing, and the next thing you know, it was like I was his brother. We were hitting it off so well, and I don't know if we ever really even got to the interview, and I was offered the job. So, yeah, you know, it, it, those are that, that, that halo effect, and those things can happen so easily during the interview process. I um. Well, on the flip side, Doc, tell us, you know, and and you'll hear, you know, folks say, well, you know, pre-employment assessments, uh, they they have these issues of those. But in your opinion, what are the drawbacks or what can a company expect or what could be some problems or drawbacks when using pre-employment assessment technology or solutions? I think you just presented a a great example of the biggest potential drawback from my perspective, and that is that you rely too much on the assessment. You know, what you're telling me is the individual uh, assessed uh, your knowledge of uh, older fishing equipment and your enthusiasm <laughs> for fishing and possibly in talking some of the experiences you had in fishing that may or may not have been relevant to the job. I'm not sure unless it was well, perhaps a fishing sports podcast. <laughs> well, it was absolutely not relevant to the job. <laughs> yeah. so, so it's possible to, to bend too much on the assessment. I think that it, the, any assessment, is very, very important to make a decision. If you're interviewing someone, you're assessing the situation. You're trying to decide what's going on with that. But you need this objective coming in, this objective idea coming in, particularly if it will help predict the way the individual will behave or they say they will behave in the situation. And so, you know, it doesn't provide everything you need, but it's a very, very important part of the decision-making process. It's unfortunate, many years ago, you could actually call and talk to a former employer and find out something about the way the individual worked or performed. Uh, because of the litigious society we're in, you can't do that any longer. Right, right. Is what say. But nonetheless, what have they done is uh, is looking at their credentials and so forth, the uh, oh, the license they have and that kind of stuff. Sure. And uh, any articles they've written, all that stuff's important. But uh, and the interview is important to see all the fit here. But boy, it's really important, in my opinion, to, to assess who they are and how they'll respond. But you can't 
it takes more than just that. You right. Know, it's just a piece of the puzzle. Well, you know, you, uh, you, you touched on something that I constantly remind our clients about as well as potential clients about the assessment carrying and you know, one third of the weight. And, and I always looked at it as a past, present, and future that, you know, the skills, experience, education, background, work history, all those things, background checks as well, all kind of fall into the past. The interview, drug screening, that's kind of falling into the present. And what the assessments are doing is in a, in a scientific attempt, a valid and reliable scientific attempt to predict the future. And when you can combine those three points, data points, uh, and when you have a check mark in favor in all three data points, it's usually when you hire a top performer. And uh, I, I do really ag- agree with you on the biggest drawback is organizations will sometimes, I don't want to use the word lazy, but they will slip into relying on the assessment to make the decision. And, and I agree with 100% with you on that. Yeah, you have to use some caution if you can use an assessment as a go-no-go situation. And I like your analysis. I like your, your comment, the idea of the history. What have they done in the past? How do they feel to you now and today in the interview process? And what is the assessment saying about their behavior in way of predicting how they'll behave or act tomorrow and fit into the job? That's a good way of saying yeah. that, John. Well, thank you. And, and you know, that that leads right into the next question, and I mentioned it, and, and that was validity and reliability. Now, <laughs> I don't want to get, you know, that we're going to spend a whole episode on validity, validity and reliability. But what I'd like to do is, you know, you, you'll hear uh, – and actually, I mean, I, I you know, company names are coming to mind, and I certainly can't mention that. But I will have an organization tell me, well, you know, we developed a low in-house assessment. And I cringe when I hear that. I, I really do. And I'll take a look at it, and I'm thinking to myself, and I'm by, by no means am I at your level of, of the research. And, you know, every time I picture you, Doc, I, I picture you, you know, I, I know you wear glasses. I picture you in your glasses with the white lab coat running around. I, I know that's not always the case. But <laughs> when, when we talk about validity and reliability and organizations that may put a little something together, and that's what they say, what is validity and what is reliability, the difference, and how important is that in a few minutes or less? Because <laughs> we could talk all day just yeah, on that topic. Well, you're asking for the, the Cliff Note version of the Reader's Digest version <laughs> of, of two entire graduate classes. <laughs> exactly. And we will come back on that and spend some right. extensive time on it. But I do want to touch on it because, you know, I, I don't want organizations to, to stumble. And, and I think it's that important that they don't stumble and, and get into something that is not scientifically sound. And, <laughs> and for that reason, I want to just touch on it very lightly. I applaud that uh, that attitude and that decision, and so would the equal opportunity employment folks. So, <laughs> uh, and that's what you know. With the, in developing custom assessments, there are a lot of in-house assessments that you can develop that are very, very effective. But they've got to be reliable. They've got to be valid. But the validity is easier to establish if you're using it in-house than it is if you're using it across the, the entire working population of the United States. For right. instance, so reliability. The, the very brief version, if I'm going to say one statement, is it tells us the it tells us if the assessment items are appropriate, the test questions are appropriate uh, for use in decision making. In other words, it looks and says, are these consistent? Are they are the questions really legitimate? For what well, we're for what we're looking to measure, Doc? Is that what you're saying? Well, yeah, I'll accept that. What happens is if, if I have a test question, and let me give you an example from a a bad 360. 
360 assessment I, I reviewed uh, not too recently, but uh, the other day. And uh, the question was, the, the talk about the boss. You had two people look at the boss and the question said, he's a good boss. Well, you might, if you, if you gave him a one and I gave him a five, it needs to be uh, because we think he's a good boss. Well, but what are the standards for that? It's a terrible question. Right. I might think he's a good boss except for this. You might think he's a good boss except for that. We both give him a, a good score, but that's two deficiencies. Instead, you give a question that everybody interprets the same way. And that is he expresses himself clearly. If I give him a five and you give him a one, it's got to be because we see his behavior as being different, not because we interpreted the question differently. Ah, it's got yes. to be a reliable question so that everybody, when they give you a response, they're all responding to the same idea. And that's where a lot of homebrew uh, instruments or in-house uh, assessments uh, fall short. But that's that's but how and, and that's, they, that's my a, guys make a living helping with that. That's right, and and that's a and that's a quick shot on reliability. Yeah. Validity now is is uh, let's say the short version, a shorter version. Validity tells us if the results provided by the assessment are appropriate for making a good decision about the individual. Okay. In other words, do we have a valid to feel a certain way about this individual based on what we've seen. And that may be because we, we use validity to, to see if what we're measuring is what we want to measure. Mm-hmm. In other words, if we say we're measuring assertiveness, are we really measuring assertiveness? I see. Also we use validity when we're talking about do the results actually answer the questions that we need answered? And that is, is this an individual that can do this particular job to fit into the situation? Because if appropriate decisions can only be made with with good information or valid information. So, is the test doing what you expect it to do? If right. my ability is is the test consistently doing whatever it do, <laughs> whatever it does? <laughs> right. The bleeding question is: Is that what we want done? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. Well, you know, I, and and the reason I wanted to touch on that is I, I feel like that's such an important topic, and and it's really what's under the hood when you talk about an assessment and. I'll come across a lot of shiny products that really look good on the outside. And I, and I, I relate to it as, you know, those kit cars that they have out there, they'll, they'll have a Porsche body, but when you lift up the hood, there's like a old Volkswagen engine in there, you know, yeah. and, 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 and I'll look at that and, and, it, and kind of do a comparison and say, you know, a lot of times you'll look under the hood of some of these assessments and it's a Volkswagen engine or it's two mice on a wheel. I said, but on the flip side, you might find a product that, you know, is not as flashy, but when you open up the hood, you have a you know you have a, a Mustang turbo engine on the there, or, or a Porsche engine that's really driving this product. So, I, I always caution organizations as you start to look at the at, at, at using assessments and making sure that you're you're picking a product that's number one valid and certainly reliable. Which which leads me to, I've been hearing a lot of a lot of organizations and, and assessment developers talking about something that. And, and I don't know, it's probably not new, but it's a little bit new to me. And that is adaptive testing. Where did this come about? And talk to us a little bit about what's going on with adaptive testing. Well, computer adaptive testing has been around a while. It had to wait until we had some really good computers because you have to process huge volumes of information in order to create a, a, an adaptive assessment that works well. Mm-hmm. But let me tell you how it works. Let's suppose. Let's make it simple. Let's suppose what we're trying to do with a math test. And so with an adaptive assessment, the same assessment items are available. The same questions are available to everybody. Right. Okay. 
But the adaptive software presents only the questions the program needs to determine the, who the person is, the characteristics of the individual. So, for example, let's say we have a 15-question math test. Okay. And so it lasts, and we, we know from 1 to 15, we know which one's the hardest and easiest and so forth. So we grab the one in the middle, the, the middle of the road, hardness. Let's say it's question number seven. And we ask this question. If they get it right, then we jump up to question maybe uh, from seven up to question uh, 11. Right. If they get that right, we jump on up further. If they get it wrong, we back up. Okay. And so what it does is, is it, 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 it's long, it's short, it's long, it's short. What it's trying to find out is where, what is the highest level of sustainable uh, performance this individual can maintain. So you might sit down and take that math test, and it might ask you six questions to decide that you uh, have a STEN score of, uh, of 80, of eight. Okay. And it might ask me, 14 or 15 questions to arrive that I have a score of eight because I was inconsistent when I was doing it. And so the idea is it saves time. Okay. And when they're properly developed, they're very, very effective. Would uh, you say that it's an increased, is it a, is an, in, an increased accuracy? I, I don't know that it's increased accuracy as much as it is a, a real savings in time and fatigue comes into play with testing. As you know, I've developed assessments for many, many years right. And, and all those factors have to do with the, the, the dead of the whole thing. Mm -hmm. If someone's very fatigued, if they're tired of it, uh, if they're worn out, they tend to respond differently than if they're fresh. Okay. So it might make it more effective because of the lack of fatigue. So it's, it gets by more quickly. Uh, when you have a long assessment, sometimes people fail to finish it. Right. So you bet. In that regard, it's much better. Okay. Uh, I haven't seen studies that actually compare the veracity of the results based on whether or not computer adaptive testing was used when you take fatigue out of the factor. Sure, uh, sure. Out of the uh, well, I, 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 and I believe as you know, as computers and, and web-driven cloud-based systems become even more powerful in in processing these information, the information we're going to probably start to see even more organizations head down that road. Uh, oh, I think so. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, you know, I, I think to summarize it, it might be, John, with an adaptive test, only the questions needed to establish the performance level are asked. That's, and I tell you what, I like that. I, I like it a lot. I like it a lot. Um, because it also, uh, and, and I don't have any, again, research to back this up, but if you're taking, if, you, if I have to go through and answer all 15 questions, let's say, and they progressively get harder, and let's say I can get up to question seven, well, I'm guessing at the rest. But if it's not, but if it's predicting the question that I'm going to have the opportunity to answer or not answer, and if I get it wrong, it's going to go down and give me another one. If I get it right, you know, it's going to keep me in that area and then nail my score, my STEM score. Then, you know, uh, and again, no research on it, but it sure, certainly seems like I wouldn't be guessing as much, <laughs> you know, or, or and frustrated taking it. Well, so, you wouldn't get away with as guessing as much, right? Uh, right. But it is because as you fail a question. Uh, as you miss the questions, making decisions about what to do. And if you miss a couple of questions, no matter where they are uh, in the process, you'll never top out, of course. Right. But uh, the, the software is pretty smart, yeah. actually. I, I, I love it. So m going on from there, norming and assessment, you hear that a lot. What What is that about? What Tell me about norming. All right, before an assessment can be effectively used, it must be normed on a targeted population. Uh, the target population needs to be the kind of, of people it'll be used with. Mm -hmm. uh, 
one that we're familiar with that you know one of the ones I developed or actually all the ones I developed yeah. that you're familiar with uh, we normally against the working population in North America so that that this process involved a good deal of statistical analysis a lot of time and a lot of people but once it was completed it allowed us a basis for comparison of anybody's results with established uh, standard so I could say to you John when you you are as assertive or more assertive than 75% of the working population in the United States. So we have that basis of comparison. But first, we have to collect a lot of data. We have to understand about what, where, is the, where do the people in the, in the working population in the United States fall? Of course, with the, uh, with the PhD, we're using millions of people. We have a lot, a lot of people. Right, right. Uh, but if what you're doing is if you're only testing for performance within electrical engineers, then what you've got to find out is you've got to assess a lot of electrical engineers to find out where they score. And then you can say, compared to this, all the electrical engineers in this focus group, this target population, we've normed on them. So we know where you would fit compared to all those guys. Okay. Got it. And vice versa. So, the, but using a norm group as a standard, individual's results uh, can be expressed as a scale score. That is the uh, STEN score, sure. uh, percentile, whatever, of the norm group. And this is very useful when you're talking about comparing you with another applicant or if you're looking at for job fit. If you say we went over to this group and we understand where they fall when it comes to assertiveness. So, so we also know where you fall. And the only way we can compare the two of you is by comparing them against an outside group, in this case, the working population in the United States. Right. And so you've got a norm on a group. Once you know in the group, then you have a reference point for comparison. So if I'm an organization, let's say, and we'll just use a, a common, you know, let, let's pick a, a job title out of the uh, chemical uh, arena, um, and that's a process technician. So if you have an organization that, let's say, has, you know, 300 or let, let's just make it easy, math has 100 process technicians, and you were to go in and identify those individuals and assess these process technicians and, and look at, you know, performance data that's, you know, trackable, measurable, use that data, and that would be, you could do an internal norming to develop, let's say, a performance model by which others could be compared to, is the process? Yeah. Or is it on a larger scale? You're after after a common point of reference. That's true. Uh, And so that's very, very useful. But the norm, what you hear the problem is you cannot project beyond the group, the norming group, the group you normed on. Right. And so if you, if there are only 10 widget vendors in the world and you test all 10 of them, you got all you got, you got all there, that's all there are. <laughs> there right, are no right, right. So if you have a hundred percent of the population, then you know, but as you know, you can't tell, you can't test everybody. Right. So if you look at, you know, with the, the politics coming up, you'll find that with the election, someone, NBC now projects so-and-so as the winner. And they're using, they have a sampling of the population, the population of the United States, the voters of the United States, and they're comparing against that sample. Right. And they're going out on a limb and making a guess. So the quality of that norming is very important for making that reference. Well, sure. the same thing is true if you're talking about, here's the way the, these engineers work in my organization. I'm looking at this other gal, this, this uh, young lady who's applying, and I want to know where she looks and how she'll fit in with that group. And so as a common standard, we've normed against all the engineers or all the working population in the United States. So we have a basis for comparison. Right, right. Good. Now, you'll hear this a lot. Can, can an assessment be beat? Can a savvy applicant beat an assessment? Well, it's an interesting idea. Uh, it, it's, it's a popular discussion. You know, the, uh, 
it's easy for an individual completing an assessment to not be who they are. In other words, if you decide that if it says that, uh, ask you a question and you say, I would normally say yes to this, so I'm going to say no. Well, you'll end up with results that do not reflect who you are specifically because you zigged instead of zagged, right? Right. You answered the question that wasn't really you. The problem is, you know, a good uh, distortion scale might pick you up for inconsistency mm-hmm. because it's not a, it's not what you didn't say that matters. It's what you did say and how those batch and line and work together, play together. Okay. At the same time, sure, uh, we all tend to present ourselves in a, in a favorable way. And there's a certain tolerance in doing that. But what you've got to go with with the results of the assessment is what you have. Here's what we have. We have these applicants. They all have the same opportunity. We're going to take them at face value. And then we're going to have an interview. And using interview questions, we're going to determine whether or not we're confident the person is really who they appear to be based on the assessment. Can you beat it? Don't know. There's an old, uh, back many, many years ago, right. uh, when I was an uh, undergraduate student, the uh, you know back when we were using slates and clay tablets and things. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> uh, there's an old joke about taking a, a a clinical test, a personality test, and that is, I love my mother, I love my father, but I love my mother more. So you know those kinds of attitudes. So <laughs> right, right. <laughs> uh, the fact is, the subtlety of the assessment questions is critical. Mm-hmm. If it's just really simply black and white, straightforward, it's easy for someone to influence where it's going. Right. And that can be a problem. So the test design and the development process is a very important part to minimize the impact of someone gaming or working the right. assessment. I, I like what you said about the, the subtleness of the information and the questions being asked to, to, to get to a certain point. I mean, I, I feel like that that's important. Now, when we talk about assessments in general – and I have to reference this. I, I was looking through a little research the other day, and uh, Wall Street Journal had reported back in 2001, only 26% of large U.S. employers used pre-hire assessments. By 2013, and again, by 2013, that number had climbed to 57%. Why do you think there's been such a rapid growth in the assessment industry and in organizations using it? They work. You know, I can expand on that. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, you know, that's a good interview question right there, Doc, and we can wrap it up. That's perfect. They work. I love well, it. <laughs> a well-designed assessment, of course, will offer objective, accurate information about the individual and possibly how they'll fit to a job. Because if you have good information about uh, of where they're going and who they are and you know where they've been, then you can make a good a good decision. And the uh, assessment, pre-employment assessment will help you. And so and it does it in an unbiased way. We talked about the fact that a good assessment doesn't have that bias that will get you in trouble. Right. It's a bias that you don't want an inappropriate bias either, but it also will get you in trouble. And so employers have learned that they achieve more effective hires. They get what they're after. Almost always, if someone wants to use an assessment or make a decision how they hire people, it's because they want better people. Has the assessment industry gotten better? Are we getting better at what we do? Oh, I think so. Without One of the things that's helped a lot is, you know, the tables we used way back in the 60s uh, went up to ends, that is, uh, samples of 100 people because uh, these sort of generalized from that because it was all done manually. So once we got computers and had the ability to find, uh, develop, develop more sophisticated ways of analyzing data and handling much larger groups of uh, uh, people, then we, uh, we got a lot better at doing it. Plus, the standards have gotten much higher. Uh, the fact of the matter is, the good assessment companies out there 
are the ones who are concerned about reliability. They're concerned about validity. They have the, the, the means of testing that and doing it right and doing it well. And the ones who fail to do that just don't survive. So the quality of the test without a doubt are better. It's harder to get away with the, with the stuff that's not right, right. nowadays because you've got a more sophisticated buyer and you have uh, more professionals out there who are trained and you have a better equipment to do the analysis. So, yeah, I think they have gotten better. Yeah, we've gotten better, and, and it's reflective in the usage because it's continuing to rise uh, in, in not only large organizations but small as well. Well, Doc, I really appreciate your time today, and what a great opportunity to – Introduce those organizations or those individuals who, you know, who the assessment world is new to them and maybe to just revisit some topics that even if you've been around the assessment industry a while, you hopefully have found that one little jewel or nugget. We always talk about getting that one nugget that you can take back and, and, and put back in your organization. Uh, and, and Doc, we're going to have your information posted up on our website. So uh, certainly we'll be able to, uh, if we have any particular questions, but I also want to invite the audience and, and those listeners that if you have a particular question for Doc Hamilton, feel free to submit that question at hrhigherup.com. Again, that's www.hrhigherup.com. And we'll take those questions and we'll do one or two things. If it's, a, if it's a great question, we need to field it quickly for you. We'll try our best to get that fielded and send it out to you. Or we may go over those questions on the next episode with Doc Hamilton. So it could be a question and answer episode as well. So, and look, you, you know, we've been talking about it for years, but you're going to have to make a trip down here for two reasons. One, we have such great food here in, in Louisiana. But secondly, we're going to have to get on the back of my boat and go take a little bass fishing trip. I'm ready. All right. Ready. Well, look, Doc, I sure appreciate it. And uh, we. Uh, I want to thank everyone for listening. We do realize when it comes to your content on demand and the topic of human resources, you do have a choice. So each time you tune in to the Higher Up podcast, we really appreciate uh, you tuning in. And uh, we look forward to having you back for our next episode. So again, Doc, thank you so much. And Thanks. Thank everyone for joining us here at Higher Up, the podcast devoted to everything human resources. Thank you, John. Until next time. Thank you, Doc. To Higher Up with John Beck. For show notes, updates, and more on how to break the code to unlocking occupational DNA, join the community at hrhigherup.com. And take your business to a higher level. This has been an exclusive production of SharperTalkMedia.com. Join the community.